Let's take our Bibles, our Bibles this morning and turn over to the book of Romans again, Romans chapter 12, as we begin to deal with uh, and talk still about uh, our theme this year, our reasonable service, our reasonable service. That song we just sang is probably a song that I've thought about singing for 20 years now, for 20 years at least. I've wanted to sing it for probably 35 years, and that's no lie. It's probably been 35 years. 
Uh, I remember hearing it years ago, and I've always wanted to do it. Our choir started to work on it years and years ago, and we just never did it and uh, for whatever reason. And so today was the first time I've done it, I think, ever in my life. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that was, I was nervous about doing that song. I've uh, been wanting to do it for so many years, and I thought, man, sure enough, this is the day I'll mess it up. And, uh, but the Lord took care of it. I told the Lord, I said, you know what, I'd like you to be able to help me do a good job on the song, but more important than that, I'd like to see a good sermon. <laughs> I think that's a little more important, amen? At least for me it is, okay, between the two. Now, if that was the only thing I was doing, I'd say, Lord, I really care about this song. Uh, but because I've got this too, I really wanted him to bless the sermon. I hope it's a blessing to you today. We've been working through dealing with this issue of your reasonable service. And of course, that deals with my reasonable service. All of us as believers today are reasonable service. And we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1, and the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Once again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, last week, we focused on uh, a number of things, and the week before, we kind of began and kicked off this series, and so what we found was that we saw the goodness of God early on in our series, and we recognized the fact that when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, we noted that Paul's letter had kind of defined and it had described the mercies of God. We see for 11 chapters that the Apostle Paul goes through and expresses and explains what he has done for us already, how he has given to us so many things, so many marvelous and magnificent things. Early on in the book of Romans, we learned that as Gentiles or as Jews, both, we're just simply sinners. We are worthy of punishment. We're worthy of the greatest of God's wrath. That's just the reality of life as a human being. We're born into sin, we will live in sin, and we will die in sin, the Bible teaches us. And therefore, as a result, we are in a very hopeless state. And that means basically that we have no real self-defense. We have nothing to depend on in ourselves or of ourselves. We are completely and totally at the mercy or compassion of another, and that other is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So we are sinners today. Deserving the greatest of all punishment, and yet God, in His wonderful mercy, has extended to us this wonderful opportunity of even becoming the, mere, the very child of God. So God is merciful, we learned. To the worst offender, to the greatest sinner, to the most vile lawbreaker, He is merciful. And that means, though, even though He knows of our guilt, He doesn't always issue the punishment that we deserve. Mercy, mercy. He'd go on to express that mercy and he'd explain it even to more greater detail. But then we began to consider as we moved along, we said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul's saying, now, I've got a request for you. I'm begging you to make a decision to do something based on what we've already read, the first 11 chapters, what we've already known to be true, the mercy of God. That being your motivation, he goes on to say that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so we understood the appeal. We get it. It's not that complicated that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We said it's a personal call. It's a personal call. He's calling you and he's calling me to personally present our bodies a living sacrifice. 
Each believer, every single last one of us, has to come to the conclusion that presenting ourselves to the one who extended the mercy to us is very reasonable. It's not asking us anything unreasonable. It's a call that makes sense in light of his mercy, his grace, and everything he's done for us. And that we kind of concluded then that there shouldn't be even a hint of reluctance in obeying this call. We are to present ourselves. And that presenting takes, carries with it, I should say, no reluctance whatsoever, no hesitation at all. We noted how we could surrender ourselves, we might even yield ourselves, but there's an element there where there's somewhat of a reluctance. I'm going to have to surrender something. I'm going to have to yield something. But in this case, the word present has no hint of reluctance whatsoever. We said it's a personal call. We noted that it's a practical call. He would like each and every one of us to present our bodies in the sense that he would like the very keys of our life. He's asking us to present our bodies as a house, so to speak, and saying, all right now, here's your home, here's your house. I want you to present the house to me in that regard. I want full control over the house and He's saying, I want the keys to every compartment, every room, every aspect and every portion of that house. Does he have the keys to your dining room tonight, this morning? Does he have the keys to your recreational room? Does he have the keys to the library and every other room in the house? That's what he's saying. I want those keys. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's a very unreasonable thing we said. That often we... Give Him our spirits, but we give our bodies to the service of that which opposes Him. Finally, we noted it was a profitable call. It's profitable. It's worthwhile. He says it's a living sacrifice. What? In contrast, of course, to the Old Testament dead sacrifices. I mean, that lamb didn't volunteer or anything else. It simply was, you're up next, buster. Get on the altar and... They weren't waiting in line going, hey, I'm next, high priest. Can you have me? I'm, I'm ready. Send me to the altar. Oh, no, there was no voluntary sacrifice in that regard. We, the Bible says are to give ourselves, to present ourselves a living sacrifice. That sacrifice never got up off that altar. We do. And may I say today that coming off that altar, the world has opened up to us a whole new world, a better world. Because listen, there is no real living until we have been already dead to self, till we've already offered or presented ourselves on that altar. When we get up off that altar, we now know and can know, I should say, what real peace is, what real joy is, what real living's all about. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he continues by saying, holy Acceptable unto God. Holy, acceptable unto God. And this morning, I want to address that particular portion of Scripture. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll consider it. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love today. God, we are a needy people.
And I especially come to you asking that, Lord, you'd help me. Father, I know in my own heart, Father, this is a constant battle that I face every day of my life. Father, to present myself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you. And so, Lord, I realize that it's a battle that every one of us will face. Then, if I face it, I'm just normal, I'm human. Then, Father, every human will face it. Help us, Lord, we pray today, to be open to your leadership. May our hearts be stirred by your word. And, Father, may we be convinced that, Father, it is certainly a step we need to take. And then, Lord, we certainly want to be holy and acceptable in your sight, I'm sure. Now, Father, guide us and help us. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. When we think of that word holy, consider acceptable to God, of course, it's, it's kind of scary almost. I mean, to think what the standard is, it kind of freaks us out. It blows our mind. To say that I'm to be holy, I mean, wow, what does that mean? I mean, where does that go? How does that look in my life? Webster says this, he says it this way, holy means hallowed, consecrated or set apart to a sacred use or to the service or worship of God, a sense frequent in scripture as the holy Sabbath, holy oil, holy vessels, a holy nation, the holy temple, the holy priesthood. See, the primary meaning as we're going to note here in just a moment of holy is really separate. We kind of get the idea that, that holiness or to be holy is somewhat abstract. It's unreachable. It's unobtainable. I mean, holiness obviously is perfection, right? That's the kind of mentality. And that's kind of how we have defined holiness many times in our own minds. Holy. To be holy is to be God-like. To be holy is to be specifically without sin. And you know what? There is some element of truth to that. I'm not going to dismiss that. However, may I say to you today that the holiness God is referring to and talking to uh, to us about in the Scriptures is a holiness that you and I can indeed obtain to. We can reach it and we can live it. It's not some pie in the sky. It's not something that is so far in the distance that we might as well just throw our hands in the air and give up and say, I don't care. As hard as I try, I'll never be holy. Because really what we're saying is, I'll never be perfect. That's not what it's referring to. We've misunderstood what the word holy means in relationship to the believer then. Again, the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. I guess we could even be a little more accurate. We could even use the phrase, a cut above something. It's kind of interesting when you go out to the store and you find a dress or you find a particular garment that you like... uh, Uh, or some other merchandise that's somewhat outstanding, that's kind of just very superior or excellent in some way, we would use the expression, that that garment is a cut above the rest. It's a cut above the rest. That means that basically the one who is holy then is uniquely holy. No rivals, no competition, if you will. 
So when the Bible calls God uh, uh, holy, it means primarily that God is completely and totally separate. He's so far above and beyond us that it seems almost totally foreign to us, doesn't it? He's a cut above the rest. He's way above and beyond. So when the Bible calls God holy, again, it means that He's so far above, so separate. So, how does that, I mean, what does that mean? Okay, we got the definition of holy somewhat. I mean, it's a, I guess, a, a Webster dictionary kind of thrown in with a few other aspects of the word holy. But how's the word used in Scripture, that word holy? I mean, he says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. I mean, is that not something that he's telling us to do? He's commanding us to do? And yet, if that's the case, then it must be obtainable. We must be able to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable then. And I know every there's critics in the room maybe saying, yeah, well, there's nobody that's perfect, and therefore holiness is really just uh, some abstract idea. I'm telling you, God wouldn't require it of you, wouldn't demand it of you or me if it wasn't obtainable. So how's it used in Scripture? Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let's take a few minutes and just kind of do a little Bible study today on the word holy. We're only going to stick in the book of Exodus, and we're not even going to look at all the times it's used. It's used a number of times in the book of Exodus. But let's just try to get a sense for the word as it's used in Scripture. Not as it's used in your life or in mine. Not as we have defined it in our own mind, but as God defines it in His Word. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now again, we understand and probably are familiar with the story of how Moses grew up in Egypt, and for 40 years he was really under the leadership of the Egyptian uh, household that he was a part of. And as a result of that, he learned the Egyptian ways. Uh, he, feeling the need to somehow come alongside his birth people, the Jew, if you will, he turns around and murders an Egyptian, which ultimately leads him out of Egypt to the backside or to the wilderness. And there he meets Jethro, and Jethro puts him to work. And for 40 years now, Moses is going to be at work in the backside of a desert, being basically taking care of the flock, the 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 the, the, uh, uh, the cattle, or excuse me, the the, the, the sheep, basically, if you will. Now, here he is now. He's, he's out and about, and he's doing the, doing the work that he's called to do or that he's supposed to do by Jethro. And God shows up in, in a fiery bush. I mean, the, the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. So Moses, of course, like every one of us, is extremely curious. And so he makes his way toward that bush. And as we read there in verse 4, he, he, he goes on to say, uh, verse 3, And Moses looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd do the same thing. I'd be very interested in what was going on. And verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. 
He said, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place there whereon thou standest is what? Holy ground. It's holy ground. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting to me, at least. So the Bible tells us that when Moses draws nigh, God says, hold on a second, Moses. The place you're standing is holy ground. Take off those shoes right now. It's holy ground. Well, let me ask you something. If Moses would have walked up there the day before and walked literally right by that bush, would he have had to take his shoes off? No, he wouldn't have had to take his shoes off. I mean, there's nothing uniquely holy about ground. Correct? Someone says, well, because God was there, that's what made it holy. Not necessarily, and not really. Not 100%. That's not really the case. I want you to think about something for a minute. Where is God right now? Huh? No, he's right here. He's with us right here, right now. He's in many of you right now. And he literally is in everything and everywhere. You can't separate God from his creation, can you? I mean, because the creation is physical, you say, oh, you're talking about pantheism? No, I'm not talking about pantheism, but I promise you this. The Bible says in the book of Romans that, that the, the Lord is seen through his creation. He's everywhere. He's in everything in a sense. He is. Somebody's freaking out right now because you just don't know the Bible. He is everywhere you go. You cannot escape God. Do you realize that? No matter where you are, God is. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 3, it says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. How can he behold the evil and the good if he's not everywhere at once? He is everywhere at all times. He is behind every closed door. He's behind every locked fence. He is everywhere at all times. May I say to you today, if you think you're doing something in secret, you are not because God is there and he is watching. Therefore, the day before Moses took a walk up there on that mountain, the day before he walked up by that burning bush, it was as much occupied by the presence of God as it was that day. Therefore, the fact is, is that just because God's presence was there doesn't make the ground holy. There's something else that's interesting about this ground. This ground was being used for what? God's purpose. He was a burning bush now. That bush was being used specifically for God. That ground around that bush was specifically outlined and made holy because it was being used for God's purpose. Now, when Moses shows up and he begins to get close to it, he says, hold on, that ground's holy. It's being used for my purpose. I want you to turn, if you would, over to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Well, excuse me, that's not the right one. I skipped two pages. I don't want you to go there yet. I want you to go over to Exodus 19.6. Now, again, let's consider the evidence of that truth. Let's try to wrap our minds around this idea again. Because, see, again, what our idea of holiness is often is that it's perfection. What makes it holy is just simply because... God said it's holy. I, I get that. But, but, and, and I'm not saying there's not some truth to those things. But the basis of our passage is misunderstood if we don't get the concept of what holiness really is, biblically speaking. Look what it says here in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, listen, they had, they had exited Egypt, we understand that. What was going on amongst the people of God at that point? I'm going to tell you what, there was all kind of problems. There were murmuring and complaining. There were those that were upset with Moses. There were those that wanted to go back to Egypt. As a nation, they were in a mess. Wait a second. They're a holy nation, though. How could they be a holy nation if they don't have holy thoughts? How could they be a holy nation if they're not always acting in a holy manner? Again, we're dealing with a nation, so don't get caught up in, well, then as individuals, we can live however we want and still be holy. Be careful. In one sense, that's true, but it's not in a practical sense. And we don't have time to address that right now. But the fact is, is that this is a holy nation. The nation of Israel was anything but holy at times in their history. But God still says they're a holy nation. Why? Because notice he says, he says, ultimately, they shall be to me a holy nation. They shall be to me. That's an important phrase. See, they were separated from others and that they were set apart to God, making them holy. God said, listen, you are a nation. You are my nation now. You are my people now. This nation, Israel, you are mine. That makes you holy. You're a, set of, a cut above the rest. You've been set apart. You've been separated unto me. You say, I don't get it yet. Turn to Exodus 35 too. I, get, I know, I know. It, it, it's interesting. It's really amazing. Notice Exodus 35 too. In Exodus 35 too, we read, Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day, there shall be to you a holy day. A holy day. A Sabbath of rest. What? To the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Wow. Wait a second now. Before the law came into existence, we know of a Sabbath way before. We know in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth, the heaven and the earth, we know that there were six, day, seven days of, six days of creation and one day of rest, right? The seventh day. Now, there's a period of time where there is no Sabbath. The Sabbath is instituted during the law. That's what we, we understand. We see it very outlined. It's very clear. So on that seventh day, guess what? Under the law, you could not do any work. Why? Because that day was what? Set apart unto God. And you know why? You, you, you know what made it holy? Because it was set apart unto God. And God said, guess what? This day, years ago, you may have been able to take a walk and, you know, carry a burden. And you may have been able to do this. But I'm going to tell you, as of this day, under this law, that day set apart unto me. That's my day. It's unto me. It's, that makes it holy. Well, that's pretty interesting to me. Notice Exodus 30, verse 26. A number of things are going to be listed here again. Now again, all of this is going to go back ultimately to our verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, what? Present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. 
Watch what it's saying now, Exodus 30, verse 26. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all his vessels, and the candlestick and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all his vessels, and the laver and, and his foot, and thou shalt sanctify them. We have a setting apart here. That they may be, what? Most holy. Wow, is that, that, that says it right there. So you're going to sanctify. You're going to set those items apart. You're going to set those instruments apart. You're going to set that oil apart. You're going to set those vessels apart. Because, you know, and, and, and as a result, they're going to be holy unto the Lord. That they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches, whosoever touches them shall be holy. Wow. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them and they, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Why? Because that was his. That's God's concoction. He said, no, you, nobody use that but me. That's mine. It's been separated unto me. Guess what? Making it what? Holy. Whosoever, verse 33, compoundeth anything like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. See, listen, in every single case, the vessel, instrument, or the oil is holy in that it is separated unto God for his use. So how does that apply to you and I then? I mean, the definition, and now we see scriptural evidence of the fact that when something is offered to God or it's separated unto Him, it's set apart for God in His service, it becomes holy. How's that apply to us then? Turn if you would to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again. We're going to go back to our original place and then we're going to look at a verse here close to it. But again, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. See, I don't know that, that, again, when we read it, it says a living sacrifice, comma, holy, comma, acceptable unto God. Guess what he's saying then? You are presenting yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. They're part of the whole. They're, in a sense, part of one. When I read it sometimes, I'm guilty of saying, holy, uh, be, uh, you know, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, separated, acceptable unto God. That's not really how it reads. Notice that you're presenting yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. Holy and acceptable. It's all part of the package. Do you get what's really going on here? When you and I ultimately come to the conclusion that, that it is reasonable to place ourselves on that altar, it's reasonable to present our bodies a living sacrifice, we become holy and acceptable unto God. Do you know what that means then? Until we do that, we're not holy, nor are we acceptable. That's pretty sad, isn't it? And that's pretty, that's pretty sobering. Because, see, what we do in our lives is we say, well, holiness is perfection, and so it's a lifelong 
process. I'm going to have to work at being holy. I'm going to have to strive to be holy. I'm going to have to take things out of my life and put things in my life. I'm going to have to work, 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 work to be holy. And we never obtain holiness in our own eyes. Because we think holiness is perfection in a sense. I'm not going to tell you that you can go out and live in sin and be holy. How could you live in sin if you presented yourself a living sacrifice? So there is a correlation between the way we live. By the way, he's asking for our bodies, mind you. You know, that portion that connects us to this physical world. He doesn't just want your soul or spirit. He wants your body, too. And when you present your body a living sacrifice, when I present mine a living sacrifice, I am holy and acceptable to God because I am presenting myself to Him. I'm separating myself unto Him. I'm, I'm being uniquely used for God in that sense. So holiness is not abstract. It's not unobtainable. Matter of fact, it's very obtainable and it is very real possibility, even in the corrupt and the, 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 the decadent culture in which we live. Why? Because it is predicated and is a byproduct of a life and body presented to God. You want to be holy and acceptable to God? Then present yourself a living sacrifice. Throw yourself on that altar today. Die to yourself. Die to your desire. Die to your longing. Die to your potential future in your own eyes. Forget about what you see yourself being and doing and becoming. And allow God to have control of you and do whatever He chooses with you. And as you are separated unto Him, you are inherently holy and acceptable to the Lord. You say, but what if I slip? What if I then turn around and go off into sin? Well, he's made preparation for that. Let me tell you something. You may have to offer yourself over and over and over and over again. Over in the book of uh, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I get it. But let me tell you, sometimes you just got to throw yourself back up on the altar that you just crawled off of. Look, if you would, and... Verse 2 now of the passage. We see verse 1. Interestingly enough, notice the progression. Notice how this transitions now. Chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Wow. Be not conformed to this world. I think that passage is so telling. We are not to be conformed to the world then now. We lay ourselves, we present ourselves, I should say, as a living sacrifice. We are holy and acceptable to God because we have been, we've been surrendered or separated unto Him in that sense. We're totally used for His purpose, therefore making us holy, just like that lover and just like that oil and just like that priest in the Old Testament. We've been separated unto Him and as a result we are holy and acceptable now. And he goes on to say, and be not conformed. Do not conform to this whole world. It's interesting that that's the next line after verse 1. And be not conformed to this world. Notice in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. 
Again, we're not to be conformed, as we mentioned and noted already, to the world, absolutely. I mean, we are presented to God. We, we, in a sense, in that regard, are a cut above the rest in that sense. Listen, don't misunderstand what I said there either. Don't go, well, you're saying that Christians and on the altar are better than Christians and aren't. You're saying that uh, Christians are better than unbelievers. You're saying, listen, in God's eyes, He loves us all. Don't misunderstand. But may I say today, let me ask you something. A child that obeys you and listens to you, you may love them, but they can drive you out of your mind. Don't think for a minute that God doesn't see people differently. You see people differently, don't you? Based on what? How they live. I'm about sick and tired of the fact that we're not allowed to have opinions anymore. We're not allowed to believe anything or have it. Listen, I'm not saying that we don't love people, and I'm not saying we don't go after people. I don't walk around going, I'm a Christian, I'm better than everybody. Matter of fact, because I am a Christian, I recognize how wretched and sinful I am, and that without the grace of God, I'd be going right to hell. It's the person that doesn't recognize their sinfulness before a holy God that is all puffed up. This isn't about being better in that sense. But when we are set apart to God, let me tell you something. There is nothing better in this world than to be set apart to Him. Notice what it says in Romans 8, 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. So what we find now is then, holiness we know is to be presented to God in a sense to be separated unto Him, yes. And as a result of that, inherently we become holy and acceptable. But then he goes on right after that in verse 2 to say, and be not conformed to this world. But And, and, and then he goes on to say, even later, he says, but instead, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now wait a second, what did I just offer on that altar just a few moments ago in verse 1? My body. My body, my body. Now, don't conform to that world. How do I conform to the world, really? Twofold, yes. But how is it recognized and seen in the lives of people today? Through their conformity of flesh. Yes, the heart cannot conform to the world either. The ideology, the mentality, the outlook, the focus, the direction... The perspective, that has to be Christ-like as well. We lay that on the altar when we place the body there as well. Don't misunderstand me. We're talking about a body that has been opened up to the Holy Ghost to say, fill me now. Fill me now. I'm now a vessel unto honor. I want you to fill me, Holy Spirit. Guide me, direct me, and lead me. Now my heart is addressed, and now my body must reflect the heart change. Not being conformed to the world. If I would ask the question right now, what does it mean to be conformed to the world? There would be, a, I can't even tell you how many different answers we'd have. What does it mean to be conformed to the world? You would have all kinds of answers. And you know what? Many of them would be spot on. I think all of them would be really right on target. There'd be people saying things like, well, what you listen to, you know, you can't be conformed to the world. You can't be listening to what the world is doing. You can't dress like the world dress. You can't act like the world dress. You can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't think about certain, certain issues the way the world sees certain issues. You can't have the same political or, or moral outlook that the world has. You can't have this. You can't have that. You can't think that. You can't think this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Let me ask you a quick question. How conformed to the world are you? You know where it all begins, don't you? 
Every place we, every time we say it, it begins at an altar. You cannot, you can go ahead and try to control this flesh by simply saying no, but there's no power in you and your flesh. The power comes through the person of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, you've got to present yourself a living sacrifice. And once you separate yourself unto God for his purpose, his use, you are holy and acceptable in his sight. Now, don't be conformed to the world, but instead be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing here. So holiness is truly obtainable. How crazy would it be? How ludicrous would it be to say that, well, I'm holy in spirit. I'm just not holy in body. I, I, I do some unholy things, but I'm really holy inside. I have a heart for God. I just don't always show it. Wow. Never heard that before. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What sort of man soweth, that shall he also reap. Let me tell you something. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. He doesn't say, be hearers of the word. He says, be ye doers also. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves, he says again. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, you, you nailed me. You got me. I, I know. That's right. It's all in or what? I mean, we really got to get to the place where we understand that God is not pleased with us being one foot in, one out. I got one foot in the world, got one foot in church. I'm ready. I got it. I'm good, Lord. Oh, I'm serving Jesus. Well, I'm back in the world. I'm serving Jesus. I'm back in the world. I'm serving Jesus. I'm back in the world. Uh-uh. That doesn't please God. That's not holy and acceptable. It starts with a sacrifice. And may I say it's a living sacrifice. As we said, it's a profitable move. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian and sold out, totally surrendered to, totally given to, totally presented to Jesus Christ, wholly acceptable unto Him. I close with this. Turn to Romans chapter 6 as we close. Last couple of verses here. I, I may have you turn to a, 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 just a couple more, but chapter 6, just real quick to close it. I, I'm kind of coming to the end here. Romans chapter 6 kind of outlines our journey with God and also our moral obligation to Him. Notice what it says Romans 6 4. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up by the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's pretty good stuff. We died with Him the day we were saved. And now we're raised just like he was raised to walk in newness of life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. See, now what you were and who you were is no longer who and what you are. That the body of sin, the body of sin, the body of sin might be destroyed. That's interesting that he focuses on the body, isn't it? See, we like to give God our heart. We just don't want to give him our limbs. It's so much easier to say, oh, I love Jesus. But then do what I want with ease in my feet and my arms and my body. And oh, yeah. He doesn't. He asked for your body too. see. See, he saved you not just for your soul. He saved you for your body. 
Look again, he says it, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not, what, serve sin. How do you serve sin? By sinning. Romans 6, 11. Likewise reckon, likewise reckon, likewise reckon it to be so then, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Say, you know what? I don't have to sin anymore. That's not who and what I am. I am not controlled by sin any longer. It will not have domain over me or rule over me anymore. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus, but alive instead unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And verse 13. He goes on, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin then. Don't do it. When you feel compelled to do so, don't yield. Don't give in. Don't allow yourself to be like you used to be. But instead, he goes on to say, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It's interesting, again, he says here, from your members as instruments of righteousness. But before that, he says, those that are alive from the dead. Do you know what had to happen? You had to present yourself a living sacrifice. There's no way in the world I can live up to verse 13 until I've already laid myself on the altar, presented myself. You know why we have so many failures in our Christian lives? Because we're really not all in. We're really not presented on an altar to God. Holy, acceptable, he says. Holy acceptable. Look in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. This is the last verse. I mean it. I said I jumped ahead there just a moment ago, but I'm going to close with this passage. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. First Peter 1, verse 15 through 16. But as he which hath called you is holy... Who's asking us to present ourselves a living sacrifice? The Lord. God is. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So what we learn is that God's holy. We know that he is a cut above the rest for sure, without a doubt. You know that he calls you and I to be holy as well then. We are to be separate from the world and instead separated unto God himself. We're to be a cut above the rest in that sense. We're not to be like everyone else in the world. We have been presented to Him. And because we have been presented to Him for His use, we are holy and acceptable. But you have to be presented. And you know the only one that can present you right now is you. One day the Lord says that He's going to present us a chaste virgin. Okay, listen, he's present us. We're going to be holy and acceptable, presented unto God as a group, a whole. But we're not there. We operate and function as individuals in the body of Christ. We have our, our own members here. And then you have members, the Bible calls them, these members. You've got to lay it all on the altar. And when you do that, you're holy and acceptable unto God. And it's amazing what a living sacrifice can do. In the world in which they live. For his sake and his glory. Will you be that living sacrifice? I mean, will you choose to present yourselves today a living sacrifice? Will you be holy and acceptable unto God? Because when you do that, you become holy and acceptable. Well, I don't know if I can live up to the standard. He's not asking you to live up to a standard right now. 
He's asking you to lay down. Simply give up. Simply present yourself a living sacrifice. Put yourself on the altar and then you will be holy and acceptable to Him as long as you remain surrendered and separated unto Him and His work. Then don't be conformed to the world and conform yourself to Jesus Christ. I mean, what, what are we going to do about it? It's our reasonable service. It's our reasonable service. What will you do with Jesus and what will you do with yourself and your body? In the long run, it's a decision you make. Look at the world today and ask yourself, is that, is that really what I want? Is that really what I want? We're going so quickly to... Immorality is just so raging in our culture. I mean, we have ethical issues and we have all kind of problems and breakdowns in our culture, our society. Do you really think your home is exempt from those breakdowns as long as you try to implement the world in your life? It's going to hit closer to home than just the culture and just the society. It is destined and it is bound to hit you personally, your marriage, your family. If you don't get yourself on that altar and separate yourself unto God as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him, I promise you, you're going to reap the results of a fleshly life. May God help us. And I'm talking to me too today. This is a battle we face daily. May God help us. And if you're lost today without Christ, let me tell you, you have no hope of heaven. I don't care what anyone's told you. If you've never put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are dead spiritually. You are as dead as dead can be. And the only place you can land is hell. You need Jesus Christ in your life to quicken you. To make you alive again. To provide you not only a home in heaven, but to provide you a spark of life in your heart as the Holy Spirit of God moves in and transforms and changes you. You need more than just an escape route out of hell. You need a Savior today. You need Christ in your life. When the music begins to play in just a moment, you should not delay a moment. You need to just simply get out of your seat, make your way front, get a hold of one of these guys. And if you're a young lady or a lady, you'll get a lady to help you. If you're a man, they'll get a man to help you. And you need to get your soul's salvation settled. You need to know that Jesus Christ lives in you, that you now can have a relationship with the creator of all the universe. And then you one day, when God says it's time, you can be in heaven with him. But you need a relationship with him. Won't you start that today? Believer, why don't you come to an altar and say, Lord, I'm presenting myself. I don't know what that all means, but I'm just going to do it because I do want to be holy and acceptable in your eyes. And then help me not to conform to the world. I'll just trust you as you continue to speak to me through your word, through the messages, through your Holy Spirit. I want to be like Jesus. Father, we come to you. We need you. We love you. We ask for your leadership and your hope and your help. Father, if there be any that are without Christ in this room, may they settle it today. May they not leave here without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, for the believer today, may you help us to realize, Lord, that holiness is obtainable, that we can reach it by simply separating ourselves unto you, just like the lava and just like the oil and just like the priests that were separated to you, they were holy. Father, may we be holy today by separating ourselves to you, by presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye.